You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. There's a text I've wanted to talk about for a long time. It's a favorite. In Japanese, it's called Gakudo Yojinshu, which in English uh, we might translate as guidelines for studying the way. It's one of Dogen's more straightforward teachings. It's just things you need to keep in mind as you go. They're pretty good. I thought today we would look at the first. The first is, you should arouse the thought of enlightenment. This would be easy to misunderstand. There are these stories from the time of the Buddha in which people encountered the Buddha himself. They met him on the road or they they happened upon uh, his community of monks and listened to a teaching. And in these stories, they see the Buddha. They see uh, this image of enlightenment and they think, I want that. I want to be that. I want to have that. And so they, it's a, it's a very straight line. It's very literal, right? They see Buddhahood in the Buddha. And they jump straight to there and they say, that's where I want to be. And in those stories then, when we say that someone has aroused the thought of enlightenment, it's, it's kind of, it's complete (laughs) in a way. But I don't think that that's, that's really how things work in the real world. Nor do I think that, that it's necessary for them to work in that way. To arouse the thought of enlightenment is something much more subtle. It's something that happens all the time. It, it, it's When you have a moment in which you feel that things could be bigger than how you've perceived them in the past, when you suddenly sense that your world could be bigger, when you suddenly sense that the standard to which you've held yourself up to now may be narrow, that maybe actually you could, you could ask a little bit more or a lot more. All of those are examples of arousing the thought of enlightenment. Potentially. That can happen every day, right? It can happen in a dream. But most often we, ha- we have that experience, we have that sense of something, and we don't know what to do, and it just becomes a kind of nice moment. Or it becomes a moment of, of something like guilt, Because 
because we start to analyze it and we think, well, I'm failing, right? Here I am recognizing something greater and I'm not acting on it and I don't know what to do. (sighs) That's so me. And then we go back. Dogen writes, the thought of enlightenment has many names, but they all refer to one and the same mind. What is enlightenment? Enlightenment is waking up. That's always been the definition. Buddha means awakened one. Waking up from what? We wake up from dreams. What does that look like? Some of the most affecting moments of my life have taken place in dreams. Specifically, they've taken place in lucid dreams. In that moment of recognizing that I'm dreaming. There's nothing like it. I say that, but I'm going to take that back. At the moment that it happens, it seems as if there's nothing like it. You're going about your business, and you're in some place that doesn't make any sense, and you're saying things that don't make any sense, and you're talking to people you haven't seen in years, but that seems to make sense. And then something, something gets in there, whatever that is, right? In fact, you've been sent a thousand messages by now that this is not real. But something gets you. And you say, oh, wow. This is all the contents of my mind. And you look around. And you you just take it in for a minute. It's so vast and it's so impressive. One of the first times this ever happened to me, I, I, there was a room, a kind of a basement room with, with light pouring in from all directions, and I wanted to see it, and I jumped in. And on the floor, that was this kind of dusty floor, there were Chinese characters written. They'd been written in water, you could tell. All across the room, hundreds of them. And... This is an example of how our brains are so strange. Because up to now, all sorts of absurd things had happened in the dream, I'm sure. But what I noticed was that if you really did this, you know, even if you were incredibly fast, there would be one corner where everything was almost faded away. And there would be another corner where everything was fresh, because you're writing with water, right? But I got there, and they were all the same. It was a physical impossibility, what I was looking at. And I knew... And it was the most clear moment. Oh, I made this. And I stared at it and I just thought, this is so cool. And I felt so free in that moment. And it didn't last long. It was was kind of, it was too exciting. I woke up. There's that aspect of waking up. There's that aspect of, of recognition in the dream that feels like freedom. It feels limitless. 
while we were walking in Kinhin tonight, I was thinking, what if this were a dream? And what if this were the moment in which I noticed that it was a dream? I would probably behave badly. Because there's this feeling of, of kind of... Everything becomes, becomes immaterial in that moment. Right? So I might have stopped Kinhin and said, Hey! <laughs> Look at this! Just to see what everybody does. There's that sense that that nothing matters, Mm -hmm. potentially. It's it's a freedom, but it's a kind of it's a kind of amoral freedom. You suddenly realize that you're God. But there's another aspect of waking up that, that is, in equal measure, disturbing. I had another dream in which I, I, I had realized it was a dream and I was enjoying myself. I was enjoying looking around. It was like, you know, it's like you're in a video game. Oh, I'll look at this. I'm going to look at this. And then my wife paid me a visit. Tracy was there. And I knew it wasn't her. And it was devastating. Because I wanted to relate to her as her. I wanted her to be her. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say to the construct of her that I knew I had created, who was right there and still seemed to have feelings. She was so real. I remember that so vividly. Feeling completely frozen. It it was, it was devastating. This is the other aspect of waking up from a dream. The thing we know about dreams is that dreams end. So on one hand, you have infinite choices. And on the other hand, you know this is temporary. You know. Now, if it's a particularly disturbing dream or a bad dream, that might be great news. But it can also be almost literally as if your world is being pulled out from under you. Dogen continues, Ancestor Nagarjuna said, The mind that fully sees into the uncertain world of birth and death is called the thought of enlightenment. Nagarjuna is important in part because of his conception of of emptiness, of shunyata, which comes into play here. But right now what he's talking about is impermanence. 
This is a point that he makes. This is a point that Dogen makes as well. That the, the, the foundation behind enlightenment, the foundation behind waking up, is the recognition of impermanence. What are you waking up to? When you wake up from a dream, you're waking up to how things really are. And one of the cornerstones of Buddhism, and there are only a few, is that everything is impermanent. To wake up to reality is to wake up to that reality. And so, what's being described here as enlightenment is something that already, conceptually, intellectually, you're probably already on board with. You kind of get it. Right? We can talk about impermanence in a kind of detached way. And we can say, oh, yeah, that's another example, and that's another example, and that's another example. And we can do that forever because they're literally infinite examples. And no counterexamples. And so there's a part of our mind that's at ease with this. But there's a more powerful part of our mind that is not at all at ease with this. One of the things that I find so remarkable about dreams, and I just find dreams to be a very useful way of thinking about this, is that dreams are driven in many ways maybe not as their focal point, but as their their engine by a denial of impermanence. It's something we do. We, We construct this world out of all sorts of things that don't make sense. And then we kind of, we, we, we have this, this gift in dreams to sew it all together very quickly and say, Oh yeah, that's how it is. That's how things are. You, you wake up, and you're in your living room. But it's not quite your living room. Because now the walls are pink. And the walls have never been pink. And for just a second, maybe, your mind flickers. And then you think, oh, no, this is how this room is. Right? You adjust. You just accept it. About 15 years ago, my parents redid their whole uh, kitchen. And it's... It's in the center of the house, and so the experience of visiting my home is completely different from the experience of, of when I was a child. But when I dream of my childhood home, I dream of how it was. That house continues. Not only that, but in my dreams, when I look out the window of my childhood home from the living room, on the hill just over there, there's a quarry this dugout part of a mountain with these huge boulders. It doesn't exist. It has never existed, and I've never visited such a place. But it has always been in my dreams. And instead of serving the function that it should, which is to make me say, hey, this is not real, it has become part of the furniture of that narrative, so that when I see it, I think, oh yeah, I'm here. This is, this is real, because that's always been there. 
And we do this all the time when we're awake. We make a seamless narrative and we assume that things stay just the way they are. And that people we know are just the way they always were. And that we, deep down, are the same person we've always been. And all the evidence to the contrary doesn't shake that. Unless it's a particularly lucky day. When for some reason we notice. But most days we don't. This is our superpower. One of our superpowers. We could talk about our other superpowers, but one of our superpowers is to look directly at what's in front of us and insist that it's something else. Specifically, something that more comfortably fits our story. We adapt to the world for our purposes. Dogen is saying, Nagarjuna is saying, waking up means waking up from this. Waking up literally means waking up from a dream. That means paying attention, yes, but it also requires a certain kind of vulnerability of mind. Which I go back to over and over again. You have to be a little bit naked. You have to be a little bit raw in order to let the world penetrate. In order to notice that things are not necessarily as you thought they were. In order to notice that things are changing. And to notice that things are dying. And that you are one of those things. And then from there, just like in the dream, you find that you can move very differently. The other, the other analogy might be something like, like virtual reality. One of these games where you're wearing goggles. Right? It can be so immersive. And they're just going to get crazier and crazier. It's incredible what they can do already. You can buy into the reality of that as long as you also agree to the limitations and rules of the game. Right? If you don't, then you have to choose to leave it where you can move in a broader way where you have more options. Which is part of what we would define as awake or enlightened behavior. Recognizing that your perceived limitations and your perceived rules are as impermanent as everything else. 
And so Dogen writes, thus, if we maintain this mind, this mind can become the thought of enlightenment. This mind here being the mind that recognizes impermanence and emptiness. That's where we start. And today that's where I'll finish. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.